Good morning to everybody in this room and joining us online. So glad that you are here today. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, I went shopping with my friend Mary. She was dating a guy and was invited to a military ball. And so we went to the mall for the day shopping for the perfect dress for her. And she found this dress and I remember she looked beautiful in it and she felt so confident and excited and uh, left that day, and the next day received a phone call. And Mary had died of an aneurysm in her sleep. She never wore that dress. She never went to that military ball. And I know many of you can think of, like, the day, the time, the place when you received a, a phone call that split your world in, like, before the phone call and after the phone call. And we're in this series called Living Into Community. And the reality is, I hate to say it, but it's true, the phone call comes. And when the phone call comes, when the loss comes into our lives, you, you either find yourself in one of two conditions. One is mostly disconnected, mostly isolated, mostly kind of unhinged relationally, spiritually from other people, not really sure, like, who can I call? Or, or you find yourself living into community and you find that you have some people, maybe not a lot, but you have some people who you can call in that moment because they're people that you have ate with and laughed with and prayed with and they're not going to be able to fix it and they're not going to be able to make it all better, but they will hold you up like an invisible force. Sometimes they'll even say stuff that's so stupid. <laughs> Trying to fix your situation is so stupid, you think in the moment it's making it worse. Or even worse than that, there will be some who don't even acknowledge your pain. But even still, even despite the disappointment and mess inherent to living into community, there will be people who will show up and bring you meals, and watch your kids, who will listen to you and pray for you, and like an invisible source of strength, because that is what it is, they will hold you up when you are falling apart. When the phone call comes, we're, we're living into one of these two realities at that moment. Community is like this invisible source of strength, and God says, you will not grow without it. You cannot thrive without it. Living in into community, it's a bit like Ted Lasso and his soccer team. Let's take a look. So look, I... Hey. Y'all played a heck of a game out there. We may not have won, but y'all definitely succeeded. I mean, you gave the champs 90 minutes of hell. Zero, where you at? That dude had more saves than a Baptist preacher. Give it up for Zero. Yep. That's right, what about Roy? Roy chased down his grandson. 
stop him from getting an easy one. Now look, this is a sad moment right here for all of us. There ain't nothing I can say standing in front of you right now that can take that away. But please, do me this favor, will you? Lift your heads up and look around this locker room. Yeah? Look at everybody else in here. And I want you to be grateful that you're going through this sad moment with all these other folks. Because I promise you, there is something worse out there than being sad, and that is being alone and being sad. Ain't nobody in this room alone. Sam, do you remember what animal has the shortest memory? A goldfish. That's right, that's a goldfish. Sam, what do you think we should all do once we get done being sad and or angry about this situation? I think we should all be a goldfish. I agree. Let's be sad now. Let's be sad together. And then we can be a gosh darn goldfish. Onward, forward. Community, it's like, it's like that invisible source of strength and God says you will not grow without it. You cannot thrive without it. And so as we consider living into community today, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about parallel play, an underwhelming churchy word, and a dead rat. So let's start with parallel play. Nobody can grow on their own. You cannot grow on your own. There's an old saying in AA that says, we get drunk on our own, we get sober together. You fall down on your own. You have a friend who helps you up. You get broken on your own. You get healed in community. There's a stage of development child psychology. You've probably heard of this, parallel play. It's when two little kids are playing together side by side, but not together. Their egos are such in their development at that stage that they're playing with their own toys, but they're not learning from each other. They're not sharing with each other. They're not growing together. This is a stage of development, though. They're playing with their toys next to each other, but alone. And this goes on for a different amount of time based on your location, your geography and the world, your culture. You know, in the Midwest uh, culture where community is a high value, this might go on for like four or five years maybe. Other communities, it, it may go on longer than that. Uh, here in urban Denver, sometimes it lasts till retirement. <laughs> Parallel play, right? We're, we're beside each other with our own toys, not really actually connecting with each other, living into community that's not the same as parallel play. Your growth in Christ-like character, it doesn't happen through parallel play. It's not something you come to on your own. It's not a just me and Jesus thing. The Bible actually has a word for this, for community. And if you grew up in church, I promise you, you will be underwhelmed by this word. You might even cringe when I say it, but the word is fellowship. (laughs) 
I mean, when you think of fellowship, some of you think of like a dingy church basement with a whole bunch of ridiculous small talk around some casseroles with way too much cream and cheese and that one person who's so annoying to you talking way too much. Some of you think of fellowship and you think of that. That's what we think of sometimes. But in the early church, the early followers of God in the way of Jesus, they thought of fellowship differently. For the, in the early use of this word in the scriptures, people thought of fellowship as shared life together. What is fellowship? Living into community. Shared life together. When somebody's going through a struggle, we're not alone because there are people in the community to bear witness to the grief and the pain. And there are rides to the doctor. And there are notes. And there are texts. And there are meals. And there are... It's not perfect, but you're not alone. The Greek word is koinonia, fellowship, community. It's when people come together in worship and grow in Christ. And it's done both for their benefit, but also in order to have that community become a blessing to others, to become a blessing to the nations. Koinonia begins when I ask God, God, would you help me move from isolated living, detached parallel play, into shared life with others. Koinonia begins when I commit myself to a group of people and I make, a must, I make that group of people a priority. I worship with them regularly. I find a few spiritual companions. I find a few soul friends with whom I allow myself to be known and who I know. I allow myself to be seen with, with whom I belong Fellowship is shared life together. You know, for, for our family, one of our favorite things to do every summer when we go to the lake in Wisconsin is make a campfire. We love to make a campfire. And here's the thing you probably already know. When you have a fire, all the little embers, they need one another to burn hot. They need each other to burn hot. You want to quench a fire, spread all those little embers out and isolate them. Get them all alone and the fire will, will die. Isolate the embers and the flame will go out and it's the same thing for you. It's the same thing, for, it's the same thing in the spiritual life. If you want to see the embers of your faith grow, you must embrace community. In some form or fashion, you must do life together with others. You cannot grow alone. For some reason, it's a peculiar thing, but we can, we can hold more of God together than we can all isolated and alone than when we get all separated and by ourselves. One of the most famous passages in Scripture about community comes from the book of Acts where we read about the early followers of Jesus. And it says they devoted themselves. That word devoted is a very strong word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Notice they ate together. Now, just because you eat together doesn't mean you have fellowship. It says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Their hearts were sincere. This is speaking to the fact that they were so filled with the love and the freedom that they had come to find in Christ that they were able to lose their masks. They were able to stop proving and posturing and performing. They could come out of hiding. It was not a fake fellowship where everybody was walking around as if nobody had any doubts and nobody had any struggles and nobody was in the midst of grief and everybody was just slick, fine, and beautiful and happy and clappy. It, this, it was not a fake fellowship. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts because fellowship is not pretending to be more spiritual than you really are. Sometimes in churches, that's the impression we get or we sort of train each other to think that way, that that's what community is. But no, they, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. No pretense. Took off the masks. No proving or posturing or performing. Which brings me to a dead rat story. <laughs> I, I read this story about um, a pastor who was making a home visit to a mother and her 10-year-old son. And the pastor comes in and is visiting with the mother. The 10-year-old is like playing outside. And in the midst of their visit, the 10-year-old runs in the house and he's holding a dead rat. And he doesn't notice that the pastor is there and he's like, Mom, I was playing out behind the garage, and I saw this rat, and I started throwing rocks at it, but it didn't die, and so I kept throwing rocks at it, uh, but it was still moving, so I picked it up, and I whacked it against the garage, and he's, like, holding the dead rat, and then he sees his mother's horrified face, and he looks and sees the pastor, and he's like, and then the good Lord called the rat home. <laughs> Like, that is not fellowship. <laughs> that is not community. That is proving how much I know, acting more pious than I am, not report, you know, not showing up as my true self. In his book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, Francis Weller has this quote that Eric shared with me this week, and I've been just thinking about it all week. He says this, the core wound in our culture is around belonging. In our culture, belonging is predicated totally on performing. We have to prove our worth. But what we need for true belonging is to be known thoroughly. Dead rat and all. What you need is a circle of people, a few human beings, 
who, with whom you feel that sense of, you are safe. You belong. Fully known, fully loved, no fear of rejection. Like these people, this place, this time. It's like, it's not perfect. There's always things that mess it up. But that's what we have. When we enter the dance, the current of eternal love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is what we enter into. And there's a longing for it always in this life that's not full until heaven. But it is what we seek to have little outposts of in groups, around meals, around tables, in faith communities, in families, in friendships. It's that circle, it's that group, it's that, that, that bunch of humans with whom you would say, you're safe, you belong. Whether you are happy or sad or angry or grumpy, no pretense required, no mask needed. You don't have to perform or prove or act more pious than you are. You come, you come as you are. You take off your masks. You know, one of the distinguishing marks in the early church, <laughs> when you think about it, was just how much they all messed up. Think about it for a minute. Peter denied Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. Thomas doubted Jesus. Remember James and John? They're acting all super self-promotional towards Jesus. Paul persecuted Jesus' followers. Zacchaeus cheated people. It's like one of the distinguishing marks of the early church. How much they all messed up. How many dead rats there were. I mean, Jesus himself, it's like you, you think about how notorious he was for eating with, table fellowship with sinners. And sometimes I wonder, was it because the sinners were more authentic than the religious folks? That the sinners were willing to be more true to who they were? That they weren't putting on a show like the religious folks were. Is that why Jesus so enjoyed fellowship with them? Because you cannot have true community when you're pretending. Fellowship doesn't exist when there's a lot of posturing. It can't happen there. Fellowship is raw, it's vulnerable. One of the famous stories in the life of the early church was a couple who was pretending. They were pretending to be more generous than they were. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted people to think of them a certain way. They wanted people to think of them as more generous than they actually were, think of them as more highly than what was true. And in the story, they dropped dead. It's almost like the scriptures are saying, pretense will kill, a, will kill a church. It will kill community. It's like, no pretending here. And it's interesting, because on a human level, I don't know about you, but I, I, oh man, so often, I think like, 
the thing that is safe is to project the image that I want to project. And the thing that's really dangerous is to like show you who I really am, to tell you who I, like my true doubts and struggles, right? I tend to think like the safe thing is to project the image and the, woof, the scary, the vulnerable, the risky, is to be raw, to be vulnerable. To it. We think of it that way. But when it comes to God, when it comes to growth, when it comes to addiction, when it comes to community, fellowship, koinonia, it's the opposite. Like the thing that's going to kill my growth is projecting the image. The thing that's going to promote my growth, no matter how hard it feels in the moment, letting the mask down, stopping the charade, being honest with a few friends with whom you feel safe, can say, I belong. Fellowship requires authenticity, vulnerability. It is raw and messy. Here's the thing. We will only do it when we feel safe. You won't do it when you don't feel safe. First and foremost, because we have been made safe by the love and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. You know, in this passage, they, there's that word devoted, they devoted themselves, that strong word. They, they committed themselves, they devoted themselves. And of course, all great things in life require devotion. You don't go to a wedding and hear two people say, I vow to love you whenever I feel like it. You don't, you know, have two parents coming home from the hospital saying, um, I'll go attend to the baby's cries when I feel like it. <laughs> you don't go to your job and show up to your job just when you feel like it. Unless, unless you're a wide receiver in the NFL. Then that is, <laughs> I heard someone say that. I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> so true. But I mean, the great things in life, community, koinonia, fellowship, living into community, the great things in life, they require devotion. They devo- require commitment. Like for the early followers of Jesus, that is what it says they did. They devoted themselves to shared life together. And that's how we grow. When losses come, there was a shared suffering. And it, it, shared suffering is such a curious thing. It's, it's not suffering. It's shared suffering that has a strange power to it. Like if I were to say to you, who here in the room is into snowboarding? Who here works in finance? Who is homeschooling or who has a brand new baby or who is from the Midwest? There would be a certain affinity in that. There'd be a certain connection for those who share those things. But if I said, who here has survived cancer? Who here has lost a parent? It's different. There's a, there's a strange power, not just to suffering, but to shared suffering. It's like in the, in the big book of AA, they have something that says this, uh, we are people, in AA, we are, we are a people who normally would not mix. 
but there exists among us a fellowship, a friendliness, an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. We are a people who normally would not, that's the church. We are a people who would not normally mix. Like in AA, it's like we have been saved from something that we know almost killed us. More people would normally not mix. Same thing in the church. We have been saved, and there's something that draws us together, though we are a people who normally would not mix. That, that is the nature of the, the fellowship. That is the nature of Christian community. That is the nature of koinonia. And you cannot grow in your faith without it. Now, I trust if you ask God's spirit, listen to God's spirit on this one, God's spirit's going to guide you and lead you in what it means for you right now to commit yourself to the fellowship. If not here, somewhere. What does that look like for you right now in your season of life? For for some of you, it might simply mean re-upping your commitment to being here in worship each week. Like if you're not out of town, if you're not traveling, that you're like, I'm here. Or I'm going to join online when I can't be here to stay connected. Maybe it's reaching out and finding someone with whom you can establish a prayer partner relationship with or read a book with. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's joining one of these groups that we're launching this fall. In September, we're doing, as Tim said, this this church-wide book discussion. So we have this book, What If Jesus Was Serious, and for Eight weeks, we're going to do sermons based on the scripture passages in this book. And then we have 12 groups all around the city that you can join that are also discussing this book or the passages of scripture referenced in this book. And it's an opportunity for you to move into community, to move from isolation to a little bit more connection with this fellowship, if, if that would be meaningful to you. So right now, Charlie's going to come up. He's just going to play a little bit of music because we want to give you a minute to just reflect about this idea. Like, how is God leading you in your life right now to live into community? What can you celebrate that's already happening? What people can you thank God for? Because with them, you would say, wow, I do feel safe. I, I do feel I belong with this group. Where is that lacking, and where might you step towards it more? So we're going to just take uh, like a minute for you to pray and reflect. Um, This is also an okay time to like pull out your phone if you're ready to get in a group, to just go to the app or to the website and to click on get involved, join a group, and to look at the list. There's 12 options. Some of them are meeting weekly. Some are meeting twice a month. They're on different days of the week to just take a minute right now in this time, in this place, to maybe join one of those. So let's take a minute, and then I'll pray and close us in just a minute.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are perfect community, and you've made us in your image to need community. Would you guide each person now as they consider what it might mean to be living into community in this season? And would you grow it among us here? We pray today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one one God and Mother of us all. Amen.